Well, good morning. Hi, my name's Tim, and we are going to be talking about Love One Another. This is a series that we've been going through together at Manningham, and today we're going to be talking about specifically the Father's generosity and how that reflects on how we love one another. And in this series, um, probably the key verse that we have been talking about is in John 13, 34 to 35. And in that verse, it says, a new command I give to you. And probably at this point, the disciples are thinking to themselves, um, hang on, wasn't that one of the old commands? Wasn't that in the Ten Commandments? And, and that is that you love one another. But I think that what Jesus was actually saying and what he was sharing was that this love one another thing is actually a verb. It's like a doing word. It's actually something that we practice or take action to do. And, you know, my daughter Chloe says that she has like, you know, there's a thing called a celeb crush. This is not a platonic love or love or a celeb crush, but this is actually something where we're actively loving other people in a way that makes them, you know, the way they're receiving it is that they are loved. Not only that, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And this is probably one of the critical points where, you know, um, the command is a little bit different to the Old Testament, Moses' Ten Commandments. And that is Jesus demonstrated how he loved us. And we are to love one another as he loved us. And that was fully sacrificing, fully selfless. And um, yeah, so, you know, he says, as I loved you, so you must love one another. And that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So in other words, if you guys are doing this, that's how people will know that you're a Jesus follower. That's how they'll see you loving like this and they'll go, oh, those guys must be Jesus followers. So this is the key verse that, and today, that whole, as I have loved you, we're going to unpack that more. And so my goal for us today is to unpack the nature of the Father's love for us. And so in part of that, when we think about a father and loving, and part of that is, you know, is the father or is God generous? And that's an interesting question. Have you ever prayed a prayer like, God, can you give me a million dollars? Or God, can I have a Ferrari? And did God answer that? You know, sometimes when we're younger, we pray prayers like this. And realistically, many years later, when we look back, we say to ourselves, well, maybe that wasn't actually what I needed because if I had have had that million dollars, I would have gone down this path of life. Or if I had have, you know, had that Ferrari, then this would have happened and stuff like that. So when we actually look at it, when we ask the question, is God generous? It's not necessarily his response to, can I win the lotto today? But it's actually, he actually knows our needs and he knows what is good for us. And that's what we're going to be uh, answering today. So to begin with, I'm going to ask you this question. What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? Or if you're asking the first person, what does God think when he thinks about me? Have you thought about that? Does God think that I'm good? Does he like me? And does that impact his generosity towards me? It's a thing which you know, is an interest, it's a bit of a tongue twister, but we're going to talk about that. So what I would like to say is that our perception of what God thinks about us is actually based on what we think about ourselves. So just think about this for a moment. If you're having a good day, 
if you spend time with your kids and you know you express love and affection to to your wife if you go to work and you're honest in your business dealing if you pay your taxes correctly and if you are you know um someone who's having a good day you kind of like oh i'm feeling good about myself and somehow subconsciously we start to think that hey god likes me and you know, that impacts how we actually think about ourselves. On the flip side, if you're having a bad day, just think about that for a moment. You know, you get in a fight with your parents and you argue with them and, you know, they're probably 75% right and you're probably 25%, you know, and, and, and you know, you um, yell and you're, you succumb to that temptation and, you know, you go to work and you do a bit of a dodgy business deal and you kind of like, um, you know, find yourself in that position where you had a bad day. It's when you kind of like reflect and think on that, do you think to yourself at the end of the day, I mean, you, do, you know, subconsciously, do you think to yourself, oh, was, was God, does God like me today? You know, what, what's the deal with that? And so this whole idea of our behaviour um, is actually something which, whether we realise it or not, impacts the way we think God thinks when he thinks about us. So the thing that we start to realise when that happens is that perhaps if we think that God is not generous or is not loving to us, and the reason we think that is because perhaps we think that we don't deserve it. And, you know, we, we kind of think that God takes his cues from our behaviour. We kind of think that God's liking of us has got something to do with what we did or didn't do. The second thing which impacts what we believe about God and what he thinks about us is that what others think. I mean, let's face it, we were all kind of like grew up and, and had a family and, and we had a father, which, you know, or, or a mother or our parents, and, and their actual reflection on what they think of us and what we perceive they think of us has a massive impact on what we think God thinks about us. So, and whether or not he loves us. Because the, the truth is that, you know, if God is a God who loves us, is he going to be a generous God to someone who, you know, if you think about, is someone generous in nature? Generous people give to people they like. Generous people give to people they love. Generous people, if there's someone that someone hates, do you think they're going to be generous towards them? Probably not. So we actually have these kind of like thoughts rumbling around in the back of our mind when we think about what God thinks about us. And the third one is culture. There's so much influence, obviously, today with social media. We're in Victoria, in Melbourne, we're under lockdown still. You know, we're thanking God that the number of coronavirus cases has come way down. But um, the reality is that, you know, we check our Facebook, we check the news, we check culture around us, and culture's constantly telling us what it thinks of us. It's constantly telling us how we should be. And so we kind of like filter the way culture thinks about us and the way culture measures us. And we kind of like somehow that actually impacts how we actually think God thinks when he thinks about us. So it all revolves around the word do. And we subconsciously believe that what I do impacts whether or not God loves me and whether or not he is generous towards me. And so today I'd like to talk about what God thinks and about you. And you might say, hang on a minute, Tim, you don't know me. How can you, how do you know what God, you know, thinks about me? Um, you don't know my character. You don't know my background. You don't know what I've done. But 
what I would say is that actually what God thinks about when he thinks about you actually has nothing to do with what you've done and has nothing to do with your character. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this. What God thinks about when he thinks about you is that God loves you. God loves you. He couldn't love you any more. And nothing you could do could make him love you any less. God loves you no matter what you've done, but God does not love you because of what you've done. And, you know, maybe God loves you. And and let's, let's think about this big idea. Maybe God loves you and it's got nothing to do with what you've done. And it's got nothing to do with what you think about yourself. Maybe God doesn't take his cues from you. So how do we know this? And it's because when we open the Gospels, when we open the um, letters which Matthew, Mark, Luke and John wrote about Jesus, you'll find, and this is a, a quote from Andy Stanley, that people who are nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus. They liked to hang around him. And people who liked and, and Jesus liked those people who were nothing like him. So when you think about that, that's when you start to see that Jesus is the picture of God on earth. He came to earth and he is the image of God. And he actually was, people liked hanging around him. And so he also liked people that were nothing or like him. So in fact, actually, the only people that Jesus did not like were those people who said that God only likes good people. Those were the people in which Jesus found himself in tension with and constantly, you know, um, in, in discussion with and arguing and correcting and setting the straight that setting the fact straight that God in heaven does not qualify whether or not he loves you by whether or not you are a good person. And so between he Jesus always found himself between the law keepers and the law breakers, between those who um, you know, set the rules and had the moral, um, you know, uh, and, and told everyone where they were doing it wrong and what they, and those people were actually kind of creating a barrier to a relationship with Father God and those people who were finding themselves struggling to keep up to this, um, you know, to keep up to this standard, this law that exists. So Jesus always seemed to find himself in between them. And so what we're actually going to do is next we're going to talk about uh, the story of two sons or it's a story is, is it, you know, the Bible calls it a parable. And this um, story is actually a story which Jesus shared about, which actually reflects the nature of his love. OK, and so Jesus actually used these stories to explain what the father was like and how the father was generous. And so it kind of starts off in Luke 15. Uh, verse 1, and it says, And now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, that alone actually demonstrates that people who were not like Jesus liked Jesus and they liked to hang around him. And, you know, if you, uh, you know, not a Christian and you came to church and you, you know, didn't like it, perhaps that's because you weren't focusing on Jesus because Jesus is actually someone who you would like. Jesus is actually someone who includes you, invites you and welcomes you. And so that alone is a massive thing. But, you know, when these tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, there were also the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they muttered or they grumbled and they're like, hmm, 
This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, we understand that, you know, he knows how to teach and he's got some authority and all that, but you, you shouldn't be hanging around tax collectors and sinners. That's just not right. And so they had, after years and years of adding layers to the law, they had actually um, found themselves in a position where they actually were actually distancing people from Father God. And Jesus wanted to set this straight. And so when we talk about this story, this is the backdrop. This is the audience of people who were actually listening to this parable, this story that Jesus shared. And, you know, as we go along in this story, I'd like you to consider who's God in the story and who are you? So let's um, jump in. The first son or the younger brother. Are any of you brothers or sisters? Has any of you uh, a younger brother or an older brother or a younger sister or an older sister? You would understand the, you know, the family dynamics that usually play out. And so, you know, the, the younger son actually came to this place where basically he said to his dad, he said, Father, Dad, I want to cash out. I actually, I know it might be difficult, but I want you to kind of like, you know, liquidate and sell your assets. You've probably got, you know, sheep and herds and crops and, you know, and, and land and property. But, you know, you, you would normally kind of like die and that would be the time when I would take my inheritance. But is it, is it okay with you, Dad? Look, you just, you don't seem to be dying anytime soon, but I want to cash out. I want, I want the money now. And so at this point in time, you know, the sinners and the tax collectors and, and those people who had, you know, supposedly done wrong by the law, they were listening to Jesus' story and they're probably thinking to themselves, wow, that is, that is a brave request. You know, in our culture, that is actually really wrong. That's actually kind of like disconnecting in relationship with the Father. And so, but to everyone's surprise in the, in the, who was listening to this story, uh, the father said yes. And so the son actually, you know, went away to another country and he spent it all. And, you know, in the story, it says he, he squandered it on wild living. You know, he, he basically wasted it all. And, and um, you know, he got to the point where because he'd spent it all, he needed to go and get a job. And, and then what happened was there was a famine in the land. And so there was a complete lack of you know, food or water or both. And um, he, you know, had to basically found himself that, you know, he had to be feeding the pigs. And I'll tell you what, in a Jewish culture, in a, in a, in a, in a, at the time of Jesus, feeding the pigs was absolutely the lowest of the terrible low. But not only was he feeding the pigs, but the pigs were being fed and he wasn't. He was absolutely starving. So everyone who's listening to this story that Jesus is sharing is just like, oh, that's such a terrible situation. And, and the weight of it was really quite amazing. And it's, we pick it up in Luke 15, 17, and he says, and then he came to his senses and he said, um, how many of my father's like servants and employees uh, have got food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to set out and I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, and this is the point where he kind of like prepares a speech because he knows that he can't just go to his father and just say, hey, dad, I'm back. Hey, how about I just like jump right in and just, you know, be the son again and you just give me more stuff? Because he knows that what he's been doing was he actually disconnected from the father and he walked away from him. And so he actually rehearses this speech and it sounds like this. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went back to his father. 
And then here's the father's heart response, okay? He actually says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. In other words, the father was actually, you know, waiting, anticipating, wanting, desiring to be close with his son again. And it says that his heart was filled with compassion for his son. Now that word compassion actually relates to other words like pity and sympathy and empathy, you know, and these words. But actually the level of like engagement that the father gave when compassion, it is like the strongest emotive emotive form of love that that there is in, in relation to this context. So, you know, pity says, I acknowledge your suffering. Sympathy says, I care about your suffering. Empathy says, I feel your suffering. But compassion says all of those things and I want to relieve your suffering. I want to actually do something about it. So, you know, if talk is cheap, then the father is absolutely generous in his love towards the son. So then we have that response, right? He's filled with compassion and he ran out to his son. And, you know, the son's got the speech prepared, right? The son's ready to tell the father, you know, this thing. And but the father actually doesn't even give him the chance. He actually runs out to him and he throws his arms around him and hugs him and kisses him. He shows affection. He shows that, you know what, all that stuff that's happened in the past, let's put that aside because no matter what happens, I love you. I love you. And so the next thing that happens is the father says to his servants, quick, in other words, don't waste time on this. Do it now. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. So the father is instantly reinstating the son in the position of the son. How amazing is the love of the father? And you've got to know that God's giving always follows his forgiving of us. It's quite amazing how great and amazing God's grace is. So can I just ask you a question? How would you describe the father's parenting style at this stage in the story? Would you say it's a bit unwise, a bit risky? Would you say that perhaps he's letting the son get away with it? That's possibly how you feel. Or would you, you know, you might say reckless. You might say it's quite overwhelming. Maybe you say he's kind, selfless, good, loving, compassionate, generous, and gracious and forgiving. But now that I've asked you that from a perspective of you being a parent, can I ask it from you as a perspective of if you were the son or if you were the daughter in this relationship and you needed to come back to the father, which version of the father would you want to receive? Which version of the father would you desire? I think you would desire the father that Jesus shared about in this story. So then, then what happens? I mean, it just, it just keeps getting bigger, right? Like not only was there the reinstating, not only was there all those things, but he actually throws a party. How's this? And so the father says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. And, you know, that fattened calf actually represents something that you kind of like, you, it's valuable, right? You save up for it. You build it. You, you can't just like get a fattened calf instantly. Like, bang, there's a fattened calf. It takes time. You've got to beef this thing up and give it food and all the rest of it over time, right? So the father says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. He makes a sacrifice for the son. And let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's have a party, right? And so why? Why are we doing this? Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate because the son was with the father again. He was close again. So if you were a parent, what would you do? Would you throw a party? I mean, let's put this in modern day context. Your son or daughter, um, you know, is quite rebellious. They've been doing the wrong thing. They've been doing wild living. You know, perhaps they're having problems with drug and alcohol and maybe you sent them to rehab and, you know, they actually kind of like break out of rehab and then when they break out of rehab, uh, they actually, you know, go to your house, steal a whole bunch of your stuff and go to run away to another country, okay? Then that son or daughter rocks back up sometime later when they've spent it all and run out of all the stuff and they actually rock back up on the driveway and they say, oh, mum and dad, I'm back. Would you throw a party and celebrate for your son or daughter? This is how extravagant God's love is. Can you imagine? And, and, you know, the sinners and tax collectors are just like, what? This is amazing. Because they're starting to kind of like work out that the audience of the story, and, you know, in a parable, you kind of work out the idea of, well, somewhere in there is God and somewhere in there is me. And so the sinners and tax collectors know who they are. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the son, right? I'm the, I'm the, you know, the first, the youngest brother. And so, but that's not the end of the story here. And that, this is how Jesus is just so powerful in the way he shares the truth of what the father's like. And the law keepers are also part of this audience. And they're like, well, I'm not quite sure who I am in the story yet. So when we look at verse 25, it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And I put that word working in there because when I read this, I imagine that the older son is kind of like, you know, slaving away with a pick and he's digging and he's digging and he's digging. And, you know, maybe like he's working so hard that, you know, the handle snaps and he kind of like has to go back and get another one, you know, kind of thing. And so meanwhile, the older son was working in the field and he came near to the house. He came back with the broken tool and uh, he heard music music and dance and he's like hang on a minute it's not knockoff time what's going on it's like yeah 1 p.m in the afternoon and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on and this is you know just imagine if you were the older brother right your brother's come home you remember you remember bill your brother <laughs> uh he's given um dad's actually given him like you know the best robe a ring on his finger and he's also given him like you know some some new shoes so oh not only that remember the fattened cow fattened calf um yeah we've we've killed it we've sacrificed and we're having a party that's the music you can hear by the way so that's what's going on and so then you know the older brother becomes angry and he refused to go in And so here we are where we've got the audience of, you know, the law keepers and they're, you know, they're, well, I can, yep, angry and refused. Yep, that makes sense, right? You know, and so the father went out, but the father also loves the rule keepers. The father also loves the first son, the one who stuck it out. And so the father went out because, you know, the son wasn't coming into the party. And just like he did for the first son, the father went out to the second son and he pleaded with him. And so, you know, the older brother who's, you know, thinking to himself, my little brother, always doing this. He responds and he says, look at all these years. Look at all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. I never did the wrong thing. I always did what you asked. I do, do, do. 
You see how the, the, the law keeper's all about what you do, right? I've, I've never been, I've, I've been slaving all this time and you never even gave me a goat, not even a goat. So what could I, so I could celebrate with my friends, but then this son of, not my brother, this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes and you, look, I didn't want to say it in front of mum, but dad, are you going to be celebrating and having a party over Bill who's been with prostitutes? Let's be honest here. This is, what he's done is absolutely wrong and I'm pretty much disgusted by it. And you killed the fattened calf for him and yet you didn't do it for me? And check out, Father God's response. This is so powerful. Oh, sorry, my apologies. So the law keepers, right, in this story, they're like, absolutely. The older son has every right to be in a bad mood. The younger son should be punished. Absolutely. And so the father's response is, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. In other words, I would have given you the fattened calf if you asked for it. But we had to celebrate and be glad because my heart of compassion realizes that this brother of yours was dead. He's part of our family and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Now he is with me. And that is what is important to the father, that you would be close to him. And so let's consider and ask this question. And um, which son do you think God loved more? Which son? Do you think it was the older son or the younger son? Or let me ask it this other way. Who do you think God loves more? Pastor Matt or you? Because, you know, Pastor Matt's got a wonderful wife, Anna, and two beautiful kids. And, you know, he, he loves them. He honours them. He respects them. He serves them. He's, he pays his taxes on time. He um, cares for the needy. Pastor Matt's an amazing person. Do you think God loves Pastor Matt more than you? Now, when you think about that, you've got to realise that actually the answer is God doesn't love Pastor Matt more than you or me or Anna or Sam. God loves us all amazingly the same because the love of the Father is not based on what we've done. The love of the Father is not based on what we have not done. Rather, the love of the Father is based on proximity. And such is the compassionate, reckless, extravagant, generous love of the Father for you. And so, you know, Paul was someone who, um, you know, was alive and around after Jesus had died and risen and gone to heaven. And Paul actually started out as someone who thought that Jesus was absolutely a cult. He thought that he knew God Father and he thought that Jesus was actually trying to destroy all the rules and all the laws that have been set up. And so Paul, um, you know, was given the authority by um, the chief priests and things like that to actually go out and seek down people who were following Jesus or following the way. And he actually was imprisoning them and killing Christians. And that's what Paul was doing. He was killing people. And he had this amazing radical transformation on the road to Damascus where God actually spoke to him and said, hey, what are you doing? And then he experienced this amazing forgiveness and the love of God. And he actually experienced this deep, deep revelation of how much God loves him in this powerful, powerful way. And so Paul kind of like summarizes this all up in Ephesians 2 four, five, and eight. And he says, because of this great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, because it was by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. No, no, it's a gift. This is actually a gift of God. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It has been given. And why? Because this generous God is rich in mercy. And so I'm just going to hand over to Anna right now and we're going to sing a song about this and we're going to worship God.
sing no shadow. No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. No shadow, no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No war you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, no shadow, no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No war you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Let's actually have a chance to respond to that. You might have felt today that, you know, possibly you were someone who was a little bit like the younger brother and, you know, there's some stuff that absolutely that you want to come back and become closer to Father God. Or you might feel like you're like the older brother and you might feel like that, hey, perhaps you've might have been close, but also you possibly weren't close when you're connecting with him in, at a heart level and, and you've just been kind of like serving or slaving away. Whatever your story is, this is an opportunity to respond. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to actually say, yes, I, I actually, you know, because what Paul said was, he, he talked about it by, it is by grace you have been saved. And, what, and, what, and he was saying it's through Christ, right? And so what he meant was that actually Jesus kind of like died on the cross for us and that paid the price for all of our sins, all of our transgressions, all the things which we did, which were wrong. And that means that we can actually be clean and we can come to the Father and that this relationship with this Father who so dearly wants to be close with you is able to happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you through a prayer and Sam and Anna are going to repeat after me so I can give you guys a chance to repeat after me. And, um, and then we'll just quickly close. So, you know, Father God. Father God. I, I want to come back. I want to come back. I, I want to be part of your family. I want to be part of your family. I recognize that Jesus was your son. I recognize Jesus was his son. He came to earth. And he came to earth. And he paid the price. And he paid the price for my sins. So you call on my name, call on the name of the Lord. And, 
So I'm calling on your name now. So I'm calling on your name now. Father, Father save me.